0: This is a production of the Ultimate Homeschool Radio Network. Welcome to the Flourish at Home Show. Your host, Mary Jo Tate, is an international book editor, the homeschooling mom of four boys, and the author of Flourish, Balance for Homeschool Moms. Mary Jo loves to help moms find peace, order, and balance by sharing practical tips, inspiration, and encouragement. Visit her website at flourishathome.com. And now, here's your host, Mary Jo Tate. Welcome to the Flourish at Home Show. I'm Mary Jo Tate, and today's episode is about making memories with your family. Family night is a tradition in our home. No matter how busy I am during the week, no matter what deadlines I have looming, my boys know that on family night I'm all theirs. We watch a movie together, or play cards, or maybe a board game. In the winter, we build a fire in the wood stove and make s'mores. When the boys were younger, they liked to camp out in the living room on family night as well. Well, I slept in my room in my comfortable bed, but they liked to camp out in the living room. We usually have family night on a Friday or Saturday night, but if the boys are out of town on the weekend, maybe on a camp out or visiting their grandparents, we try to do it on a weeknight. We've missed a week now and then, but it's a tradition we all treasure ironically when you're homeschooling and your family is together almost all the time it can sometimes be challenging to pull away from all the demands of homeschooling or maybe home business to enjoy just being together and having fun as a family but taking a break is good for family night is my boy's favorite tradition but we enjoy many others as well we have donuts for breakfast on the first day of our homeschool year and on everybody's birthday and we also have birthday dinners at restaurants chosen by the birthday boy I give each of my sons at least one ornament every Christmas, and they're surprisingly sentimental about them. They know that their Christmas and birthday gifts will always include books. Seasonal decorations are another tradition, even in our house full of boys. In the winter, we enjoy lighting candles at the dinner table, even if it's not a fancy meal. In spring and summer, we decorate the table with daffodils, azaleas, or tulips from our yard. Our autumn table decoration is a big wooden bowl full of decorative gourds. We hang seasonal wreaths on our front door year-round, and we drape garlands on the mantel and through the baskets on top of our bookcases. Once we found some medieval-looking pewter plates at a yard sale, and we enjoy using them for special meals. There's absolutely nothing medieval about the meals or the decorations other than the plates, but they're still a lot of fun. Another one of our family traditions is Homeschool Freedom Day. One of the things I love about homeschooling is the flexibility to set our own schedule, so I declared an official holiday to celebrate it. On the first day of public school where we live, we don't do any schoolwork, even if we've already started our own school year. We take a quilt and a picnic to a local park and enjoy the trees and the breeze and the sun and the freedom. Sometimes other families join us as well. One year when the weather was even hotter than usual and humidity was at 93%, the park just wasn't very appealing, so we stayed there only a little while, and then we enjoyed lunch in the air-conditioned comfort of our favorite Mexican restaurant. I love what Edith Schaefer said about traditions in her wonderful book, What is a Family? There is something about saying we always do this, which helps to keep the years together. Time is such an elusive thing that if we keep on meaning to do something interesting but never doing it, year would follow year with no special thoughtfulness being expressed in making gifts, surprises, surprises, charming table settings, and familiar favorite food. That's a good thing to remember. If you have more than one child, you know how hard it is to spend time one-on-one with each of them. The more children you have, the harder it becomes, but it's well worth the effort. Individual instruction time is a natural part of homeschooling, but it's also important to spend some time with each child that's not focused on academics. They need time just to hang out with you and to share their hearts without the risk of a sibling overhearing or interrupting. You can do this at home by sending the other children outside while you and one child talk indoors. Or you can take one child into your office, study, or bedroom while the others play or work somewhere else in the house. Leaving the house can make time together a really special treat. If your husband, grandparents, friend, or babysitter can take care of the other children for a while... Taking one child with you away from the home provides a great opportunity for extended conversation. Try taking only one child with you while you run errands, for example. I used to value my errand time primarily as time alone, and I still do sometimes. However, I've found that taking one of the boys along can be fun and rewarding for me as well as for them. We have time to talk, and they learn a lot by helping me at our various destinations. All of my boys know how to choose groceries, Compare prices, estimate the total cost of our purchase, load and unload a shopping cart without squishing the bread, bag groceries, and ask a salesperson for help. Taking a child out for a meal or a snack can also be a special reward for an accomplishment, part of a birthday celebration, or just a way to make her feel special. This is an especially good way to get reticent children to open up. Three of my boys are very talkative, but Andrew is usually quiet and reserved. Last winter, I took him to Starbucks for a salted caramel hot chocolate to thank him for helping me with several projects. I didn't have an agenda for our conversation, but eventually he began to tell me what was on his mind, including college and career options. It was a delight to hear him share his heart. If you travel for business, consider taking one child along with you sometimes, especially if there's a connection between your trip and one of his talents or special interests. My oldest son, Forrest, was very interested in business from around age 11, so I took him to several conferences for entrepreneurs. With a little prompting, he introduced himself to each one of the speakers, and that quickly became a tradition for him. At one event, he even took a speaker to dinner. He made all the arrangements himself and asked the hotel concierge to recommend a good restaurant nearby. He's now a college junior, majoring in business and marketing. Andrew likes science, math, and nature. When he was 10 years old, he joined me for a business trip to Phoenix, and afterwards we spent several wonderful days at the Grand Canyon. When I asked him what his favorite part was about the trip, he replied, My favorite part was sitting on the front porch of our cabin with you, Mom, looking at the stars. That's one of my most treasured memories, and it taught me an important lesson. It wasn't necessarily the big things we were doing, but it was the time with me that meant the most to him. That inspired me to begin taking the boys with me one at a time on local errands more often. Perry loved to draw when he was younger, and I started dreaming about taking him to the Louvre someday. Just a week after I set that goal, I learned about a huge exhibit from the Louvre at the High Museum in Atlanta, only six hours away from our home in Mississippi, a little bit closer than Paris. I loved seeing the art, but even better was watching Perry soak it all in. He spent an hour copying a still life by Renoir and another copying Raphael's portrait of Baldassare Castiglione. Try saying that 3 times fast. On our way out, one of the guards told me that drawing was prohibited in the exhibit, but they had let Perry continue with his drawing because he was so absorbed in his work. I still hope to take him to Paris someday, but we did what we could at the time instead of waiting for some day to see art from the Louvre. At age 11, Thomas had never seen the ocean, so when my mastermind team scheduled a business retreat on the Florida coast, I knew he had to come along. I'll never forget watching him see the Atlantic Ocean for the first time. Orlando just happens to be on the way from Mississippi to Vero Beach, so we made a little detour to Disney World, which his brothers had already visited. As the youngest of four, he has always had competition for my time and attention, so we both relished the extended one-on-one time together. If your budget permits, a family vacation is a great way to build memories. I have many fond remembrances of family trips from my own childhood. When I was married, we enjoyed many trips to my in-law's condo in Destin. I loved Disney World as a child and hoped to take my boy someday. So when I registered for a home business conference in Orlando, it was a great opportunity to meet that goal. And my generous parents helped pay for our trip. Thomas was too young then to enjoy Disney World, so he stayed behind with his dad and his other grandparents. The other boys and I got more adventure than we bargained for when Hurricane Jean hit Florida during the trip, but Disney World was open the very next day. Shortest lines ever. I was so thankful that God provided us with this memorable opportunity. When you travel to a new place, doing some research ahead of time can make all the difference. In addition to finding information online... Buying a travel guidebook can be a very wise investment. If you're spending hundreds or even thousands of dollars on a trip, isn't it worth $20 to help you get the most out of it? You don't have to pre-schedule every hour or even every day, but a good guidebook can help you find great hotels and restaurants and inform you about must-see places you might otherwise miss. Even if a vacation isn't feasible, don't let budget limitations keep you from having fun as a family. Check the newspaper and ask friends for suggestions of easy, simple, inexpensive, or even free things to do locally. The main thing is to spend fun time together. Our town has free family movie nights outdoors downtown in good weather. Keep an eye out for inexpensive local concerts or plays. Going to the park is always fun, and it makes a nice break from your own backyard. When we lived in another town, we enjoyed spending the day at the nearby lake often. The boys would throw a ball while I read, and we'd enjoy a picnic and a walk in the woods together. We had a wonderful time, and it didn't cost us a penny. Spend time with your extended family as well. My parents were so faithful about taking my sister and me to see our grandmother at least once a year, even though it was a 16-hour drive. I have many precious memories of those visits. Treasure the time you and your children have with grandparents and great-grandparents. You never know how long you will have them. My parents moved to our town about two years before my mom's death, and I'm so thankful for the extra time my boys and I were able to spend with her. My dad still lives about three miles away from us, and we are blessed to see him often. My boys enjoy visiting their father's family as well and have lots of fun with their eight cousins. If your extended family lives far away, you'll have to make an extra effort, but the time together is well worth it. Learn to enjoy the journey as well as the destination. Have you ever been so focused on your agenda that you've completely missed opportunities along the way? A few years ago, world-famous musician Joshua Bell played his Stradivarius violin, Incognito, in a metro station in Washington, D.C. Video footage from a hidden camera shows that most people who passed by were completely oblivious to the beautiful music. What are you missing by not paying attention? During my childhood, my family often drove on the beautiful Natchez Trace to visit my grandmother. Our usual rest stop had a marker indicating a scenic lookout point, but never once did we take time to drive the winding one-mile road to the top of the hill. Once, when I stopped there as an adult, I decided to see what I'd been missing. There was a gorgeous view for miles above the treetops. All those years, I'd missed it. Every time I pass there now, I make sure to allow at least 15 or 20 minutes to go to the top of the hill, walk around to stretch my legs, and just soak in the beautiful view. After that experience changed my mindset, I began looking for other ways to enjoy the journey. When Perry and I were traveling to Nashville for a conference when he was 10, we stopped at another rest stop on the Natchez Trace. I was in a hurry to get to Nashville so we would have plenty of time to see the life-size replica of the Parthenon, but Perry spotted some big rocks beyond the parking lot. He has loved to climb since before he could walk, so he begged, Oh, Mom, please, I was born to climb. Please let me climb these rocks. He climbed for half an hour while I walked around, and we were both refreshed. Just before we left, another traveler told us about a waterfall just two miles up the road, so we decided to check it out. It was a mile past our exit, and we would never have known about it if we hadn't lingered at the rocks. The waterfall was beautiful, and Perry was amazed that I let him climb down the steep trail and stick his feet in the water. I had so much fun watching him. He looked just like Huckleberry Finn. Being productive and efficient is wise, but don't be so focused on the clock that you miss the delightful serendipity of discovery. Finding time to make memories can be challenging, and documenting them can be even more so, but it's well worth the effort. You might think you'll never forget your children's cute sayings and habits and special family times. But as your brain gets more and more crowded, and let's face it, as it gets older, the memories will start to slip away despite your best intentions, unless you write them down now. As the Chinese proverb says, the palest ink is clearer than the fondest memory. When I was a new mom, I was determined to do everything just right. I marked every milestone in an adorable Peter Rabbit baby calendar. When my second son was born, I was too frazzled to find my good pen and use my best handwriting, so I developed an alternative that I call microwave journaling. I kept a plain legal pad and a pen on top of the microwave. Every time one of the boys lost a tooth, took a first step, or said or did something cute, I hastily scrawled it and the date on the pad. Later on, when I got around to working on baby books and scrapbooks, I used those notes to fill in memorable details. Microwave journaling is handy because the pad is right there in the kitchen, and it takes away the pressure to write beautifully on the spur of the moment. Be sure to take photographs, lots of them. I took about 300 photos of the first month of my first baby's life, and that was in the days before digital cameras and smartphones. Those were on film. The other boys were not documented in quite such detail, but I made sure to take plenty of pictures of them as well. It's an old joke, but too often true, that our youngest children have no baby books. At least take the pictures, even if you have to wait until later to put them into books. Most people take pictures of baby milestones, birthdays, Christmas, vacations, graduations, weddings, and other special events. But don't forget to photograph ordinary moments and places as well. I take pictures of my boys with their pets, playing with favorite toys, reading favorite books, or just hanging out on ordinary days. I also take pictures of their rooms, and every room in the house, as well as outdoor shots of the house and yard. I have fond memories of some of my childhood homes, but almost no exterior pictures. I would love to have a picture of my grandmother's house, but I don't, and it has been torn down. I can see it in my mind, but I can't share it with my children. So when each one of my boys was born, I walked through our entire house and yard with a video camera in addition to taking snapshots. You probably take pictures when you travel, but do you think to collect the details that tell the stories? Pick up some brochures, take notes on what you learned from tour guides, and take close-up photos of signs and scenic markers. You probably won't put those signed photos in an album, but taking a photo is quicker than writing down the details you want to remember. Interview older family members while you can. They have so much history and wisdom to share. I interviewed my grandmother and great aunt on video, and they talked about what it was like to live through the Great Depression, and they also shared some family stories, like my grandfather picking up my grandmother as his future wife when she was just an infant. Her father was his best friend. I regret that I didn't do the same with my mom. Interview her. It never occurred to me that she would die in her early 70s. Interview your children on video from time to time to capture their current speech, personalities, and mannerisms as well as their appearance at different ages. Despite all of this encouragement to document life with plenty of photographs, I also want to remind you don't be so focused on the camera lens that you miss out on what's happening around you. Your family traditions and record keeping may be quite different from mine because each family is different. Figure out what works for you as you seek to make meaningful memories together. I'd like to leave you with a word of encouragement from Edith Schaefer. She wrote, Many times you are not choosing what to do with the two or three hours for the immediate result, but you are choosing a memory, or choosing not to have that memory for a lifetime. When you choose a memory in this way, you are choosing to lose hours of time in order to keep them. Thanks for tuning in to the Flourish at Home show. For more encouragement, visit Mary Jo at flourishathome.com. The Flourish at Home show is a production of the Ultimate Homeschool Radio Network.